I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today's guest is Sandra Witzel. Sandra is Chief Marketing Officer at SkedGo. So the primary topic here is mobility as a service or mass. And we talk about what, what that is. So at super high level, I think of it as like a technology agnostic offering of transportation. And I, I won't go much deeper than that because Sandra shares her thoughts and definition. And we, we really get in, into detail here. So we talk about the current state of mobility as a service. Also, what is likely to be coming on the horizon and what, what that could mean. We also spend a good amount of time talking about um, sustainability and how SkedGo's offering can actually help uh, help people optimize for what they're trying to get out of a, a given route that they're taking. And we, we dive deep into accessibility as well, which I really enjoyed. So Sandra shared some thoughts on common misperceptions and what it actually means to provide an accessible offering. And then we close with a, a fun discussion. Um, so Sandra talking about kind of an aha moment or a big breakthrough she had that really helped her uh, help propel her professional efforts. And so she's on the marketing side and she talked about kind of what, how she changed about, changed her thoughts about something that uh, made a big impact, which I, which I really enjoyed. So really fun discussion. I think first time diving deep into this mobility as a service uh, topic. So please enjoy my conversation with Sandra Witzel. Today, I'm joined by Sandra Witzel. Sandra, thanks for coming on. Hi, Brendan. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I, mobility as a service, I think, is a, a fun topic, and I'm looking forward to um, exploring what, what you're doing at SkedGo. Um, could you please start by kind of introducing yourself and, and sharing a, a bit about your background? Sure. So I'm uh, the CMO at SkedGo. We're a mobility as a service platform enabler, so we're a B2B and B2G, so business to business and business to government um, company. And our headquarters in Australia, but we're we're a global business. I'm located in the UK. I was located in San Francisco for two years um, up until quite recently, which was a great experience. And yeah, before that, I started out with um, with Skegger in Australia. And I've lived in Australia for about eight years before I moved to the US and then the UK. And I worked in um, other tech companies there before as well. So, um, yeah, but I've been in mobility with Skegger for almost seven years now, hard to believe. Um, So I've seen mobility as a service change from something that nobody really knew what it was to to a a movement that's, that's really... Um, taking over the the transport world in in sort of certain areas. I mean, you know, we're we're a niche product, but it's really um, it's really coming into its own. And um, so, I'm also very active within the Mobility as a Service or Mass Alliance, which is a Brussels-based um, industry association for Mars. And um, I'm I'm an activity leader in one of their one of their working groups there. So I do regular events on specific topics uh, concerning user-centric mobility as a service. And I'm also the co-founder of the Women in Mobility London Hub. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of exciting work. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so, so maybe it makes sense to uh, start with kind of a, a definition or explanation of mobility as a service. So could you, uh, could you share a bit about how you think about that, that overall topic? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Mobility as a service is really about taking mobility out of silos and making it user-centric. So at the moment when you when you look at how you consume mobility, you're probably doing things quite separately with separate transport modes, separate apps that you use, and just sort of separate planning. And it's all quite labor-intensive because you have to do most of the work yourself in in doing that and if you're looking at purchasing tickets 
quite often you have to purchase tickets separately as well. So what Mobility as a Service does is really put the user at the center and look at how can we make this seamless and integrated. Um, the, those are two big keywords in Mobility as a Service. So what Skego does is uh, we are really an expert in, in routing. So in creating door-to-door -door journey plans. And journey plans used to be quite simple um, up until quite recently when there was really just mainly your own vehicle, and that could be your car or your bicycle or your motorbike, and there was public transport, and maybe there was car rental, and, and that was it. Mm. And nowadays, we've got a lot more different modes. So we've got um, all the what we call micro-mobility modes, which is all the, the scooters and the shared bikes, for example. And... Um, We've got even tra public transport is sort of diversifying into, you know, in, in Sydney, for example, they brought back the old trams that they got rid of um, decades ago because they realised this is a really important, um, important way of, of getting from A to B. So we've got a much bigger variety of transport modes. And then obviously you've got the Ubers and the Lyfts and, you know, all the rideshare models and, and different car sharing models as well. So we've got all these different modes or, or types of transport. And um, what Mobility as a Service does is bring it all together into one application that where the user doesn't have to choose the mode or the type of transport so much, but, but really just chooses how they want to get from A to B, um, to C, to D. And then the mass model works out for them, well, this is the best way to get to your destination if you want to travel in a way that's very environmentally friendly. Or this way would be better if you're short on time. Or if you want to save money, then you get a different, different way of traveling. Or if you've got certain accessibility needs, um, again, then there might be a whole different way of, of displaying your, your travel options and, and creating a different route that's then also attached to um, a different way of buying your ticket, for example. So that's that's what mobility as a service does. And in the future, we're we're hoping to be even more advanced and making that even more proactive, so that the the mass application already knows your needs, so you don't have to go in and search for it anymore. But it already knows on Mondays this is what you normally do. So um, we recommend you do this type of trip for example. Yeah, and there's a, uh, I, I, I'm in a suburban type area, and so it's, it's often um, private, kind of per personal vehicle that, that I'm driving. But it, I, I think the, the first thing I think of when you're, when you're explaining this is kind of the, I don't know, Google Maps improvement of it. it used to be if I wanted to, over the weekend, for example, I drove to a golf course and wanted to stop and get coffee someplace. And it used to be that there was a bunch of planning on my end that needed to be done. But then now it's it's simple enough that I can just put in, hey, I'm going here at a stop that's along the way. And I, I know that's that's a relatively simple one, but that made the user experience so much more convenient and safer. So then I'm not sitting there while I'm trying to drive and, and encouraged to uh, to try to be doing this complex um, type searching. But then. Uh, so, so I guess with that being said, I, I have to imagine when you're talking about all these different modes of transportation, it becomes much bigger the improvements that can be made absolutely yeah it becomes very um very localized as well because there are often a lot of local transport modes um that you can't access through google maps things like school buses for example oh, yeah. and um or um corporate transport is another sector where where mars is is really big um for companies who want to reduce their fleets and um or who have their own bus system for example all these things that that um, yeah, where you need a more sort of tailored approach. That's yeah. that's where Mars really excels, I think. And so, so, what to what degree are you trying to kind of take advantage of the existing modes of transportation and um, try to choose between them versus also providing input to? Is is there any I guess application where you're trying to help? Uh, a certain city or whatever, figure out which modes of transportation they need, or are you primarily on just the application side of um, trying to help the user best take advantage of the uh, options that are available to them? 
Yeah, so we're, we're mainly the application side, but we work with um, our clients to, to shape the, the Mars model that they want to promote to, say, for example, their citizens. So a recent project that we did, it was actually a web application with Leicester City Council here in the UK, and they wanted to make sure that they really promote um, active travel, so any travel that, that involves physical activity, um, walking, cycling, but also taking public transport. And they've got a website called Choose How You Move. Hmm. And we created a web application for that website that um, if, you, if you put in your, your um, location and your destination, it really promotes specific types of travel. So it, it would promote active travel over using your car and, and you know, highlight different, um, different ways of traveling. Gotcha. It, it was also, so I think you mentioned kind of your overview um, that there's, I don't know, it seems like some, some filters or ways to, uh, for the user to determine what, what they want to optimize for when they're choosing the route. And you mentioned uh, sustainability as, as one of these levers that they can pull. Can you, can you speak a bit to, okay, when, when whatever the algorithm in the background is, is making some type of a judgment about the sustainability of different options, what, what's going into that decision? Yeah, so we've got specific data feeds that, that calculate the CO2 emissions of trips um, for cars or public transport um, public transport routes, for example, or bicycle or walking. Um, so we've got specific standardized data sets that, that we use and our products then calculate the CO2 emissions for a specific trip and display them and um, you can as a user as an end user you can choose how important sustainability is for you so in, in our applications that, that is quite often a sort of sliding scale and um, and then depending on on that where you put your um, your choice there we um, we customize that that trip so we might prefer a, a bicycle trip and um, a train trip over a car ride or a car share, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's a, uh, I don't know, it, it also seems interesting in that every city and every application seems to be so different. And it's, it's not as simple as saying, hey, yeah, just, just taking a bike around is, is more convenient than uh, yeah. than driving because it's different, literally it's different from block to block within cities and seems like there's a exactly. lot of variables. Exactly. It's, it's very different from city to city. And, and also, so I've mentioned data. So the data is different from every city to city because quite often the public transit authorities provide different types of data that might not be standardised, that might be their own format that they've had for, for decades. Um, and um, so, so bringing that all together is, is really quite a sort of customised customized thing and then also they have different um, different priorities um, we're doing a project at the moment for Nebraska with a company called Phoenix that has a really strong focus on paratransit so on on transit for people with accessibility needs and that again is a whole different system that you then integrate into your mobility as a service project yeah and uh, can, can we speak to uh, kind of the I think we've talked a good amount about kind of what mobility as a service is and, and some of the the benefits, but can we kind of zoom out as a, uh, within the full mobility picture, what, what, what are the key advantages or what, what, what are the potential advantages if we are able to uh, continue to become more effective at, I guess, giving people the option to take advantage of these different modes of transportation rather than just relying on the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I mean, we've been, SketGo's been around for over 10 years now, and we started as a little sort of B2C, sort of consumer facing application. And then after a few years, we realized, hang on, this is, this is not where the money is. The money is, is when people approach us and say, we want your product, we want to integrate it into our own. But even back then, so maybe five, six years ago, mobility as a service was not really it just wasn't that 
well known as a as a solution to certain transport problems but really in the past few years it's it's picked up dramatically and and a lot of that push comes from well a from the fact that there are more modes now so people need to juggle a lot more in in terms of managing their own mobility behavior it's become a lot more complex because there are more options but also um governments and um Cities, for example, really see mobility as a service as a way to reduce carbon emissions, as just one tool in their toolbox to reduce carbon emissions. And um, so the EU, for example, last year came out with a strategy paper on seamless mobility, where mobility as a service really features very strongly. So we, we see a really strong push from the top down. And um, from the bottom up, we're sort of working a lot with... Um, with data and with what we call nudging. So to really create a value proposition for the user so that this seemingly quite complex mobility as a service B2B offering, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything to a consumer, right? Yeah. So for the consumer, it just has to be something that's easy to use and, um, and that makes their life more, more convenient and saves them time and, and hopefully also saves them money. And that's, that's really where where the challenge lies with mobility as a service to bring that all together to, to really achieve that for the end user. Yeah. And so my, my background's more so on the I don't know, technology. Um, I, so, so I don't know if we're talking about development of a, a personal use vehicle, for example, there's a lot of discussion to be had about what type of propulsion system you have going in, how, how it's used. And, um, but there's, yeah, I, I think at least as important or maybe more important discussion is, where, what benefits can be had by, you know, swapping some of these uh, personal use vehicle trips to public transportation or bikes or walking or uh, and then on a, on a big enough time scale, then you don't need to you know, build as many vehicles, which also saves on emissions or especially on the electric vehicle side, given how all the emissions that go into uh, and the energy that goes into creating a battery pack. So it's it's a it seems like it's part of a, a very important problem that's trying to be solved here. Uh, are, are there any specific use or uh, case studies that you can point to where uh, that you've seen and been able to play a part in a significant change in the effectiveness of this mobility as a service offering? Yes. Yeah, so there's, um, I guess if we talk about maybe innovation and, and what innovation happens to mobility as a service. So we were part of a really fascinating pilot a few years ago that, that demonstrated what can happen when you release certain data sets within transport and make, make that data available to, to tech companies like us. So in Australia, uh, the um, local transport authority of New South Wales released a data set on the weight of carriages, which just came from IoT sensors in the carriages. And um, that basically allowed us to calculate how full is that carriage. And that was way before COVID, before anyone was interested in, in crowds and avoiding crowds. Yeah. And we, we were then approached by a um, research outfit from a university in Sydney who said, hey, we can use this to help people on the autistic spectrum avoid crowds and make transport more, more comfortable for them. So we created a, um, a pilot or a trial where we use the data to direct people to emptier carriages. And, the word and, uh, carriage, is, is there a different word in the, in the US? The... Oh, a vehicle, maybe? A train, um, train vehicle? Do you call yeah, it a vehicle? Yeah, it was yeah. a part of a train or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's those, it's those odd words, isn't it? That are completely different. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, so you were saying though, you were able to, based on weight data, determine yeah. how, how full something was in. Exactly. Uh, huh. And then redirect people. So that was a really unexpected use of this that suddenly provided a, a, a benefit and made transport more accessible for a very specific user group. And then obviously when COVID happened, we looked at that, we looked at what we created there and thought, oh, hang on, nobody wants to be in a crowd right now. So we can use this again. Mm -hmm. And um, and again, sort of spread out people across a platform to distribute them more evenly onto a train, for example. So there's some, some really interesting stuff happening um, in, in that regard. And also 
further on the accessibility topic, for example, um, the more data we get in these areas, the more other factors we can integrate into the application. So for example, there's a project called Open Sidewalks that maps all the sidewalks and their sort of accessibility, which is really important for people with, um, with reduced mobility, wheelchair users, um, elderly people, anyone who doesn't, you know, who, does, who struggles to walk. And if we've got this kind of data, we can use it to create a really customized routing for people and, and really help them to, to stay independent for much longer because they feel more confident using transport because they've got more information and they can tailor it to their specific needs. Whereas at the moment, it's still quite one size fits all. It's not mm. that customizable yet, but we're hopefully we're, we're getting there. I mean, when you say, I mean, if it was open sidewalk or, or what the name was, uh, this, this data is this essentially mapping of to determine I don't know, what curbs look like and how exactly huh. yeah 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 so how uh it, it seems like so given that schedule is a global company and i'm sure there's plenty of global data providers but it also seems like it's kind of a segmented niche based on where the specific area is so yeah how, how much uh kind of application work is required to implement the data that's available at each of these different locations? Yeah, so that's, that's a really interesting question. I mean, we have the advantage because we've been doing this for 10 years, a bit more than 10 years now, we already integrate over three and a half thousand transport service providers globally. So very likely if a city approaches us and says, we want a mass application, can we do that with your routing algorithm? We already have their main transport services integrated and we just need to add some of the newer ones or the more local ones like school buses or a new um, scooter service. Mm -hmm. so, so that's where we are quite fast. But then it also depends on whether this data is standardised. So there are certain standards like GTFS that would make it a lot easier if everyone would adhere to those standards then it would be a lot quicker to, to create integrations and also the output would be a lot um, um, a lot easier for for people to consume. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we sort of we're not quite there yet, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think this is going back to uh, kind of mass 101, but ju just want an example to make sure I, I have an understanding and, and the, the listeners as well. But so this basically, if I understand this right, what we're talking about is so I'm I don't know, in, in Detroit downtown i want to go from a certain place to another place or rather than if i don't know i don't know if there is one that exists but basically what this would be is some local whether it's the city of detroit or some other local entity would have a, a mass application which essentially i just put in the beginning the end i play with some filters and um, it gives me kind of an optimal route based on what i'm looking for and that's replacing me pulling out my map application pulling out Uber, Lime, Bird, like all, all these different phones and trying to figure out, okay, where, where are their scooters? Where do I want to, what, what are the easiest ways to, to get across or like the, the queue line or, or whatever? Is that, is that roughly speaking kind of the, the value offering here? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the value offering that we have at the moment. Um, and that's sort of really describes really well what's happening with Mars right now, what's possible right now. There are certain companies who also then on top of that offer subscription model like um, a company called WIM uh, in uh, they're based in Finland and they've created a mass model where they work with cities to to create subscriptions which are probably similar if you compare it to your mobile phone data plans mm. so you can choose a certain plan that would suit your needs and within that plan you have certain allocations of of transport that you can use per month so if you're a commuter, you would choose a different plan compared to if you're a stay-at-home dad, for example, and you don't have to go into work every day. So, um, so that's another model that's, um, that's being worked on that, that I think is very interesting. And, um, and we also offer the, the option to include your own vehicles into that, 
into that whole system. So for example, we could tell you, hey, Brandon, today, take your bicycle to the train station, and then you park it at the train station that costs you $2. And then you take the train. And then on the other side, you can take a shared bike to your end destination. So that that works as well. So, so we're getting a lot more sophisticated. But in the future, hopefully, you don't even have to look anymore. But we can already tell you, um, today, the weather's not that great. And we know you're going out for drinks later. So here's what we think is the best transport option for you for this day. Or we know um, someone is, for example, a, a female who's traveling at night. And we think, well, maybe we have to make sure that this person uses a safe route. So we would um, suggest a different, different journey. So it's, get, it's going to get with things like machine learning, it's going to get a lot more proactive mm-hmm. and become more like a like an assistant really that sort of helps you rather than something that you need to sort of search and and look up yeah what uh i don't know maybe this is a, a combination of a, a few other questions i asked differently but so I, I think of my own experience and I, i've shared before on, on the podcast like just uh, being on vacation for a, a little while in, in Amsterdam, it was very easy that uh, my primary mode of transportation I switched to was bike to train. And it yeah, it was very convenient to get around. It, it worked perfectly. But now, and I, I've had somewhat similar experiences in other cities. And I can imagine if I lived downtown in Detroit, maybe that, that would be interesting. But now that I'm 20 minutes outside of the city center, like it I have a hard time imagining my own personal kind of path beyond the the personal use vehicle. Um, do you have, and I, and I guess the question is what, what role, or do, do we have a feeling for what role kind of mobility as a service offering has in making it more possible for additional use cases? I, I don't know if it's necessarily as someone like me, and maybe this is my, my current living condition is something that's kind of still kind of further out before it makes sense before, or for a, um, something beyond kind of just a private use vehicle, but but you have a sense for how big of an impact that the, the convenience factor and um, improving the experience for people can have in encouraging adoption. And then I imagine then that encourages further application of technology. And it seems like there's a nice cycle that can potentially be in place there that can help um, different cities and different areas improve their modes of transportation. Yeah, that's that's you're addressing a really really interesting challenge there that that mobility as a service has, and I think it's a similar challenge that that public transportation has as well is is how to deliver effective transport to less densely populated areas like suburbs and more rural areas. That's mm-hmm. certainly a challenge because quite often there you can't just hop on a scooter and get anywhere because the distances are too large and and there are just no no operators. So. What, what we see in these areas is that there's a more dem- on-demand type transport model emerging that, that quite often has been existing for a while, but in a very sort of low-tech way. Like where my mother lives, for example, in Germany, or where she, where she used to live, was a really rural area. And there was this, um, what they called the phone bus that you could just phone up and say, um, hey, on tomorrow, which day are you going into town? And then you could book your seat on the little mini bus and it will come and pick you up and charge you five euros for it. So, so, so these kind of on-demand transport models, I think they're coming back quite a lot in a more sophisticated way that, so that you still you keep part of that convenience and that flexibility are they ever going to replace your car? I'm not sure. It really depends. We There was a really interesting trial that we participated in in, in Sydney, a mass trial, and they found that, um, and that was subscription-based, so they offered transport or mobility subscriptions to, to the participants. And what they found is that people were more likely to give up their second car if they had good alternatives. And, you know, that's already a win if people don't have two cars anymore, but just one, that would already be great. And also they needed a little financial incentive to make that switch. So that that was a really interesting learning to see, well, if we can at least get people to not buy a second car or sell their second car or don't upgrade it and just, Mm -hmm. you know, get rid of it, 
um, that's that's already good good progress. And if we can um, if we can replace that with more customized on demand transport modes, then you know that that there's an option that could work in in less densely populated areas, for example. Yeah, and I, I think that's applicable applicable as well. So I'm now. Last October, I got rid of my, my wife and I got rid of our second car because I've been working out of my basement. But now over the last uh, last few weeks, kind of one, once a week or so, I've been going into the office, which is enough to make it kind of kind of annoying it's the, not having a second car. So we're going through this decision making process right now. And if if we could, if we can convince ourselves that, yeah, there's, there's other options on those once a week that whether it's just me taking an Uber or something like that, then, yeah, yeah that, that, that could be enough to... Uh, encourage us to just stick with the one car and then find other options when necessary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else? How, so, so I know we're, we're talking kind of like future looking now and uh, kind of the, I don't know, the theoretical um, opportunities. Anything else kind of you see, whether it's short term or medium term, where, uh, where mobility as a service is going? Yeah, I think it's really that, that, this sort of seamless mobility and also the, the tailoring of mobility offerings where, where it can differentiate itself and, and offer that convenience that currently people don't have, but they're not really aware they don't have it because it's just always been like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we really need to come in with a very user-focused offering there and, and make it super convenient. And I think I think that's one of the key factors for for the uptake of mobility and service offerings as well. If it's not more convenient, people are not going, some people might still use it because they really have a strong focus on the environment or on cost. But I think the biggest factor is really the, the, um, the convenience. And, and also we have to work really strongly with the transport service providers because obviously mm-hmm. we're just a, we're someone who aggregates data and creates um, a, a useful application, but we can't make infrastructure more accessible, for example, or we can't make buses go more frequently, or um, we can't make Ubers more accessible. It's, um, it's, we really have to make sure that the infrastructure is there as well to support this, this convenient and this, this tailored approach. So, for example, in the UK here, quite often, I've, I've got mobility issues myself. I've got reduced mobility. And um, I really struggle with train travel here in the UK because quite often there's a very large gap between the um, the exit stairs of the, the train vehicle and the platform. I still sometimes, have mine the gap in my burned in my ex- head. From, exactly. And from. I have that for the reason because sometimes it's like half yeah. a meter or more. So, so when we did a train trip recently, my husband had to lift me out of the out of the train because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to exit. Hmm. And but there because the platforms are curved, there might be parts of the train where that where that gap is smaller, but I don't know that. So there are all these little bits of information that that we need. And we need transport service providers to collect that data and then make it public mm-hmm. so that we can take it and and create a better value offering. So we have to work really closely with um with transport service providers, with with cities and governments to to bring them all together to create these better models and um, and not let everyone work in their silos and do their own thing for their own commercial benefit. Yeah, and it seems like they should be incentivized to work with you because assuming this goes well, you're increasing the size of the pie and the the number of people who are willing to take these types of applications and modes of transportation. Exactly. So we would we would bring people to public transport or to scooters or yeah to other modes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the combining two your your recent things the uh, the convenience factors. So yeah, I, I certainly don't see myself picking up the phone and calling someone and saying, "Hey, I'm going to be driving tomorrow to or I need to get to this location tomorrow. Can you come pick me up?" But it's not that crazy to think about. I don't know my phone my phone calendar knows where I'm going to be <laughs> tomorrow. I'd have to imagine this, and this is probably the more uh, sophisticated mean you were talking about where that that stuff, it seems like could be pretty easily automated where uh, it can map out some optimized route and pick me and a few other people up and have 
a means of transportation that makes a lot of sense for those types of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How about, so, so switching, uh, maybe accessibility real quick. Anything, I think that's, that's a really interesting topic. Um, I think we've, we've touched on a few areas, but can you speak to, so, so someone who, I don't know, maybe doesn't have accessibility issues and maybe isn't aware of all that goes into this. Can you speak to some of the, the misconceptions or things that generally are missed when we're thinking about trying to offer accessible uh, mobility options? Yes, I can. How much time have you got? <laughs> um, so one of my favorite is um, when I comment on the lack of accessibility on a, so for example, when before COVID, we went to a transport conference in Copenhagen and they were running these little autonomous shuttles that had quite a high step to get in and not a very sort of easily accessible railing to, to get up. So I, I really struggled and I said to the, to the driver, I don't know what you call them now. They're not driving anymore, but the, I don't know, the sort of safety driver, the guide, yeah, the safety person in the car. And I said, this is this is not very accessible. And he said, oh, we've got a ramp. And um, accessibility is not solved by just having a ramp. That's just a misconception I think that a lot of people have. We've got a ramp, so we're sorted. It's um, step-free access is a is a lot more than just providing a ramp. So that's that's one thing. And then also there, there, what about people with vision impairments and hearing impairments and, you know, people on the autistic spectrum? So accessibility is really complex and you really need to speak to different user groups within that spectrum to get an idea of their different needs. Like, um, are there any steps there that might be hard to see for someone with, with vision impairments? Or are there any steps where there's no railing so someone can't hold on to things? Um, is a ramp actually more safe for someone who can still walk but not very well? And, um, you know, all these, all these sort of little questions that need to be asked about the actual infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the one advantage that mobility as a service has is if we have the knowledge and we know certain types of transport or certain vehicles are not accessible, then we can also take that information and create different routes, for example, and say, okay, this, what we, we call it a trip chain. So, so a, a chain of transport types, if you want to go from A to B to C. So this trip chain is not accessible, but hey, we can create this other trip chain for you that actually is accessible and you can just, just travel this way. So, mm -hmm. so that's where mobility as a service can come in. It can take all the different transports, all the different ways that you can travel and really analyze them according to certain needs that you might have. And then say, well, don't take this route, take this one because um, it has no steps, for example. So that's, yeah, so that's, it's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge. And again, it's that working together mm -hmm. and ensuring that you don't retrofit accessibility, but you really, start quite early in the process um, because otherwise we end up with situations where you know uber really only got more accessible when they got sued by um by accessibility groups for not providing services for for people or not allowing guide dogs in their cars and and those situations so we really need to get into those scenarios as early as possible so mm -hmm. we don't have to then make costly adjustments at the end. Yeah, it's, it sounds like wherever, uh, yeah, if, if you can define something in the requirement phases and have the accessibility considerations as one of those requirements, I, I have to imagine it's it's a, a marginal cost improvement for, for or addition for, I don't know, ha having a lower gap or something or ha having a lower step. But if you try to retrofit something later in the product development cycle, it, that can get pretty costly pretty quickly. Exactly. And you're helping so many other people. That's what I always point out. In in the EU, the latest statistic that I have is a few years old now, but it says that one in three people see transport as a major barrier to participate in life and work. Hmm. That is a massive number. And that's, you know, that's that's people with with young who have small children who are traveling with prams who might have temporary injuries who are traveling with groceries or luggage or 
everyone benefits from accessibility. You make the whole transport experience so much easier for, for everyone. And if it's easier for everyone, people are going to use it more. So it's really a win-win situation if, if you get people on board in time. Yeah. So, so thinking quickly about uh, application of or utilization of uh, a mobility as a service app or, or some sort of platform, how, so, so I would imagine the primary offering is probably to the permanent residents in a, in a given area because they're likely the ones utilizing the, the transportation modes most frequently. But I also have to imagine it's a non-trivial amount of people who are kind of entering and then like, look, so for example, I don't live in Detroit, but I go down there and spend some time there and, and move out or going to a conference soon in a city and I'm going to spend a few days there. Um, my guess is without looking into it, I'm not really going to know personally whether there's good applications that actually are solving these problems and would be helpful. Um, can, can you speak to this problem at all and kind of what, I don't know, what type of education or awareness is needed to allow more people to actually utilize an application when it's in place? Yeah, I mean, quite often these applications are created by, by cities and then the cities promote them. And hopefully then you'll, you'll find out about it. Mm. And um, if, I mean, our phones know a lot about us. So maybe your, your, um, your Facebook or whatever social media you're using um, will, will know that you're going to a conference and you'll get tailored ads to, um, to um, for example, to explain ways how you can best travel into into Detroit. So, so I think um, cities are getting quite quite smart with these new projects, and they're really putting the effort into marketing those to to their citizens. And that's that's only going to get better. I think it's going to get a lot better. Yeah, that makes sense. Or I could imagine. Yeah. I know in an airport, it's probably prime real estate when you're. Uh, banners kind of on the wall. Hey, download our app or, or that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about so changing uh changing topics a little bit. So so switching to kind of more personal questions. So I ask uh, most of my guests these these questions. So uh, are there any specific uh, book or books or or if you want to expand it beyond um, kind of long form written? I don't know if you could think of movies, uh, music, etc. But but anything that you've read or listen to uh, that has had a particular impact on you over your life, either personally or professionally that you'd want to talk about? Yes, definitely. I'm just getting the author of this book because yeah. I always forget her name. So there's a book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Paris. Hmm. And it's, it's a very nerdy book because it's about data. So it's not an easy read. But it's, it's a very unsettling book because it looks at how women have been forgotten in every area and every aspect of life and work, health, design, transport, because they're seen as the aberration of the norm. Mm -hmm. So the male form is the norm. And the woman is the sort of the difference. So when we look at things like medical research, transport planning, functional design, more often than not, they're based on the norm, which is the male form. So the classic example, I think, that we all know now is the crash test dummies that, um, that were classically designed on the male form. So women are still a lot more likely to get injured in car accidents because the car is not set up for a smaller figure in terms of safety or not as well as it is for the slightly bigger, broader male statue, for example. Mm. And there's a, there's a really big um, chapter on transport as well and how transport planning really puts women as a, at a disadvantage so it's a, it's a fascinating book that, that really, even though I'm quite aware of things like inclusion and, and um, the disadvantages that women still face in a lot of areas, it was, it was a real eye-opener, this book. So I, I highly recommend reading it. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds really interesting. And the, uh, the general topic, I think, is a, an important one as well. And it's, 
it's something i mean even without malicious intent i mean i, I doubt the person who designed the crash test dummy was saying hey i'm going to exclude women i just care about the men in the car like it, it's just i don't know ignorance lack of yeah, lack, lack of, of awareness force. yeah yeah absolutely so yeah and any i mean i think these types of conversations and, and reading the book are one action and anything else that you'd recommend kind of the, how we can address the uh, kind of underlying issue there um, yeah, there's another book called Brandsplaining um, that came out recently that has been written by two ladies here in the UK. And Jane Cunningham and her colleague, where is her colleague? can't find her colleague at the moment. Jane Cunningham and her colleague, Philippa something. And um, it's a really interesting book that looks at, because I'm a marketer, so obviously I find that really interesting. It looks at marketing and how marketing has for decades treated women um, in a quite patronising way. And there are a lot of examples in there that I sort of took for granted as, oh, yeah, you know, it's just an advertising slogan. But then when you put that lens on, you think, oh, yeah, hang on, actually. Um, this is a really patronizing way to, to go about things and how, how brands um, have approached women as the sort of not-so-knowledgeable person that needs to be explained to. And, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating book. And it, it also explains how the term... So brandsplaining is obviously a, a play on mansplaining and it explains how that term came about when a, I think she was a, a historian who wrote a book about a certain, certain historical topic. I had a conversation with someone at a party and that guy explained her book back to her that she had written. <laughs> and, uh, so, and then she came up with this term. Um, she's just been mansplained her own book. So it's, it's really, and it's quite a fun read as well. It's really interesting. It's, it's very enjoyable. I say maybe a, a quick uh, sidebar. So, so speaking of, of marketing and, and mobility as a service, I'd, I'd be really curious to, to get your thoughts. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about mobility as a service. So you can focus there, or if you want to talk more kind of broadly about um introduction of of new technology and safer and more sustainable technology is there anything from kind of a, a brand marketing positioning messaging perspective that you've uh, you've learned or that's stood out to you that you think is particularly important in actually uh effectively introducing this technology and getting it out to the people so it's used yeah, that's a that's a that's a million dollar question, isn't that? Yeah, um, and I imagine yeah. you spend a lot of time thinking. I, yeah, I'm also yeah. Mark, mark my day job or part of my day job is marketing for an engineering company. So okay, great. Yeah, it's it's a real challenge. I mean, I have to say, now that we're in the B two B and sort of business to government area, it's quite different. When we were a little B two C app, mm -hmm. it's it's a lot harder to market to consumers because you just need much bigger budgets to reach consumers because the competition is is um, is so big and um, and also you need a lot larger user numbers when you're doing business to business or to government it's a lot more specialized it's a lot more personal and and it's quite a different way of marketing but what really helps us is that mobility as a service has been accepted by governments and organizations like the EU and cities as well. I think they are the big proponents of mobility as a service now because they really believe that this one more tool that's going to help them reduce car usage in, in, their, um, in their communities. Mm. And that's really made a big difference. So when we switched to the business-to-business -business model, nobody really knew what mobility as a service was and why it would be interesting multimodal routing, what is that? It was really not a thing. And it was quite difficult to market because you still had to educate people as to what the benefit of this is. But then when you see the EU publishing a strategy paper on seamless mobility for the European Union that mentions mobility as a service quite in quite great detail um, and in a very positive way, then that really helps. 
And, um, and that has a sort of trickle down effect. So that, that really helps providers like us. And and we can see that now. I mean, we've obviously been, all been hit by by COVID, but we can now see the the demand is is coming back quite strongly, which is great. Yeah, no, you said definitely makes makes a big difference when you're not spending most of your time explaining to people why they have a need that you're trying to solve. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that the last real question I have, like like I said, I ask uh, all my guests, what is a, uh, a personal strength of yours? So, so what is something, whether it's personality or something that you've learned, but uh, something that you've kind of been, been able to lean into and, and uh, take advantage of to try to help make the, the change that you're trying to make? Yeah, that's, um, that's a really interesting question. So um, I think for me, it, it really is bringing my personal experience into the job. And, and that's really when also when my, my public profile really picked up. Um, because I remember when I did my first my first talk at a conference um, with with Skepgo, sort of two three years into the job, I looked at the presentation and I thought well, it's really boring and corporate. And at some stage, I thought, hang on, I'm talking about mobility. I'm someone who lives with physical disabilities. I struggle with mobility every single day. I get incredibly frustrated, and I've got really specific knowledge on the topic and certain insights that would make it a lot more interesting to share that. So, but that's not always easy to sort of come out with that and, and, and share that personal experience with people. You have to sort of make a bit of a leap of faith and, and really be a bit vulnerable. But, um, but yeah, I can, I can highly recommend it. I think once you bring your personality into the job, um, people really respond to that and appreciate it. And, um, and then you really form these networks with people because they've got an angle where they can connect with you as well. So, so that really pushed my career forward, but also brought me so much more motivation on the job because it was just what I was doing was suddenly more relevant as mm -hmm. well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's tough because, yeah, vulnerability, as you mentioned, is definitely part of it. And then also... I don't know if you're not used to it. It doesn't quite feel right bringing the personal into the professional. Like, for example, when when I started the podcast, I, I this podcast, I, I realized you know safe, sustainable mobility is some, what, the aspect of the job that I, that I really care about, and I try to bring more personal in it. Yeah, it kind of kind of feels uh, not not quite right at the beginning because you think you're supposed to have this kind of firm company line and be really proper and stuff. But yeah, people like hearing from and working with and talking to real people, not just corporate faces. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So th thanks for sharing that. I think uh, it's yeah, very important. So Sandra, I really, really appreciate the time talking. I think this has been really educational, a lot of fun to uh, to learn about mobility as a service and, and what you're working on. Uh, I guess kind of open floor, if you have any last, last closing, closing thoughts and uh, and anything we missed or anything you want to get across that make sure our listeners uh, don't miss? Um, no, I think, I think we've been pretty thorough. We talked about all, all relevant aspects, I think. Yeah. So, so sounds good. I guess, uh, how about, I'll, I'll make sure to link, but is the, uh, the schedule website, the best, best place for people to learn more about what you're working on? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, Sandra, great, great to meet you here. And like I said, I really enjoyed the, uh, the time talking. Yes, same. Very much. Uh, thanks very much, Brenton. I really enjoyed that too. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.